Good morning, Alaska, and welcome to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. The idea of a cult seems to both fascinate and scare us. Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, Charles Manson, and Warren Jeffs are just a few examples that have captivated and horrified us over the years. How did these groups come to be? How did these men gain control over people to the point that they would die for them? Why do seemingly intelligent people often give up everything to blindly follow these leaders and the, uh, their ideologies? What is the difference between a cult and other organizations that are based solely on faith or a blind loyalty to a person or a belief? Please stay with us for the next hour as we explore the world of cults, coercion, and charismatic authority with Dr. Janja Lelich. Dr. Lelich is a world-renowned expert in cultic studies and is an author and co-author of critically acclaimed books on cults. An avid contributor to the field of cultic studies through her research, presentations, and articles, Dr. Lelich specializes in self-sealing or closed systems like cults, human trafficking, situations of coercive influence and control, and ideological extremism. Welcome to the program, Dr. Lelich. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today on Line One. Oh, thanks. I'm happy to be here. And by the way, it's pronounced Lalich. Lalich. Okay. That was one of the questions I had for you. Did I get the first name correct? No, the first name is Yanya. Yanya. I, I butchered it all. My apologies. I usually get a, a chance, but we were kind of kind of late. So uh, it's, it's Yanya Lalich? That's right. All right. I will try to lock that in. Um <laughs> All right, just uh, need to take a second to remind people that we value listener participation. If you have a question for uh, Dr. Lalich or a comment about today's topic, there are three ways to connect with us. If you're in the Anchorage area, our phone number is 907-550-8433. If you're listening outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free at one 353 Five seven five two, and the last way to join us is to email your questions to line one at alaskapublic.org. You got to spell out line one L I N E O N E. We will do our best to answer your questions on the air. Okay, um, Dr. Lalich, let's uh, I guess start us off with a little bit about your background, education, and why you chose to get into this particular area as your profession? Uh, sure. Well, um, I when I was 30 years old, I joined a cult. It was a political cult, and we were fighting for equality and to end racism and sexism and all those good things. And um, I had already had my uh, college degree from the University of Wisconsin and had also lived in France for a while as a Fulbright Scholar lived on an island off Spain for four years. So when I eventually came back to America, it was in San Francisco, and I was new in town and was asked to join a study group, which seemed interesting to me, and, like, I'd meet new people. And so that's what got me. I didn't know there was a background organization, but that's what got me into the cult, which, of course, I didn't know was a cult. And it was quite restrictive and... Um, we mostly sat around and criticized each other for days on end. And so after 10 and a half years, I got out. We were lucky. All of us actually got out. And um, 
I went to New York and worked for a number of years. And then after about 10 years, I finally made the decision to go to grad school, got my Ph.D. And while I was in grad school is when the Heaven's Gate suicides happened. And so that ended up being part of the subject of my dissertation. And I guess ever since, I mean, it was even before that, that I got involved in um, writing books and doing presentations and working in this field. Um, once I finished my dissertation, I got a job as a sociology professor and did that for almost 20 years until I retired a few years ago. And um, I, you know, I guess this is my way of making a bad thing turn into a good thing by, <clears throat> by as I see it, helping educate the public about cults and who joins them and also uh, working a lot with former members and survivors and, and their families. Okay, so this is both a, a decision based on personal history and then wanting to turn that experience into into something positive, and it sounds like it's turned into quite a passion for you. I um, came up with the idea of this um, show when I, I was listening to NPR, I don't know, maybe a year ago, and I heard you talking. I don't remember what the context was, but I was just uh, fascinated by the conversation, and uh, I thought I wanted to learn more. So um, I guess let's start off with what, like for you, because what, what you described sounds a study group to end all of those um, injustices sounds like a, a great thing to do and a passion and a calling and people would sign up for that. But so what makes something a cult and what is how do you define cultism? Well, um, for me, what <coughs> excuse me, it's allergy season here. So <laughs> um so for me, what makes something a cult are, are several factors. One is there is typically an authoritarian leader who is considered charismatic, um, and there is he, demand, he or she demands sort of blind followership and devotion, and there's no, there's no checks and balances. There's no questioning of anything that leader says or does. Uh, secondly, there's what I call a transcendent belief system, and by that I mean it's an all-or-nothing belief system. It is the only truth with a capital T. Um, and in order to be accepted within that um, belief system and to follow that leader, you have to go through a, a personal transformation, and that's where the indoctrination comes in. Uh, so they don't just take you as you are, but they are determined to change you, to sort of transform you into the good cult member. And then finally, there are these um, what I call systems of influence and control, which are interlocked and are the mechanisms or the techniques that are used to basically get the person to conform and go along with the program. So there will be the more obvious controls, which would be the rules and regulations, like it may be what you can wear, what you can eat, who you can marry, things like that. And then the influence, the influence systems are more, are the more subtle social psychological mechanisms that sort of prey on your guilt and fear and shame and love and sort of push all those buttons to make you more vulnerable and susceptible. Okay. That's, I mean, that sounds like a lot of 
things that I, I can think of um, that come to mind both historically and um, currently. But like just for like everyone seems to be really, really fascinated and interested in cults. What do you think sort of drives that interest or, you know, like um, people to just like read about it? And it's just it's really interesting and it draws people in. Why are people so fascinated with the idea of cults? Well, I, I think the fascination is that um, sometimes cults do really harmful things that we find unbelievable. And so it's there's kind of that salacious effect that I think people get sort of interested in and also sort of thinking, well, that could never happen to me, right. you know, but it's sort of juicy to watch all these documentaries and films and listen to these podcasts. But I think there's been a much greater interest lately and actually some very good coverage that's not all sensational, um, which I think started during the Trump era and has continued because of, uh, you know, people falling down all those rabbit holes, as we say, with QAnon and the anti-vax movement and all of that. And, and some production companies have done some really good coverage, so there have been some good things to watch on TV or listen to. Um, so that's, I think, where the fascination comes from. In terms of the people who join, um, if there's any common denominator, it's idealism. Just like I was mm. drawn by this desire to you know, make a better world, um, most people join because of that same um, that same motivation. They want to either fix the world or they want to have a better life for themselves or their family, or perhaps it's even that they want to have more money or better health. And so it's these these impulses of, of idealism and thinking that you've found something, you know, you finally found an answer that's going to satisfy that need for you. Um, and of course, you don't realize what you're getting into when you join. So I think that's what draws people actually into these groups. Right. So it's not that, there. you know, it seems like everybody, uh, most people would be vulnerable um, to that sort of, um, I don't know, idealism, like you said, wanting to make a difference, getting involved. And cults don't look like cults at first blush, right? There's right. a a hook, um, sort of a cell, and then a slow sort of like psychological, um, I don't know, drip, so to speak, that that sort right. of it's, sucks you in, right? Right. It's like the frog in boiling water, right? Or you taking a shower and at first it doesn't feel hot and then it gets hotter and hotter. So, yeah, I think people get, you know, think they're joining something great and they slowly change. And by the time they're changed or transformed it's kind of too late and then it takes some kind of moment some kind of awakening that then they may realize oh i've got to get out of here this isn't good um but yeah people uh people want to have change in their life and that's a very normal human response it's a very normal human response to want to be part of something um or to have meaning and purpose in your life 
All right. For anyone who might be tuning in late, uh, we are discussing the psychology of cults with Dr. Yanya Lalich. Uh, Dr. Lalich is one of the world's leading experts on cults. She specializes in the areas of recruitment, indoctrination, coercion, and charismatic authority. If you have a question for Dr. Lalich or a comment about today's topic, you can reach us in three ways. In Anchorage, our local number is 907-550-8433. You can also reach us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to reach us is to email us at line1-alaskapublic.org. Okay, uh, Dr. Lalich, most people think of cults, so we have this sort of idea in our head or this this model of them as groups that live together, like Jonestown or the Branch Davidians, um, you know, in groups as sort of like a commune kind of thing. But that is certainly not always the case. Can you give us uh, some maybe more recent examples of, of cults that don't fit this typical mold? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've seen that a lot lately. And I and I think it started in the mid to late 90s with the Internet and people getting more and more involved in things that way and the cults using the Internet to recruit. So there there are in some cases there are completely Internet based cults where people actually never even meet each other and certainly never meet the leader. Um, and then as things progressed, uh, we, we do see these, what I, what I call, you know, these more ephemeral kinds of organizations or movements that have formed that aren't your typical brick-and-mortar cult. You know, mostly in the past, we always knew, you know, where the cult, at least the cult headquarters was, where the leader was, who the leader was, <clears throat> and, and it was much easier to identify but these days, for example, with the Internet, you don't necessarily have one leader. You may have different people who take over as a spokesperson, you know, some some out there radio host who becomes the person who's putting out the next conspiracy theory that people are grabbing onto, and then that guy dies of COVID or something, and then, you know, next week there's someone else who's the spokesperson. So it's almost as though people are attaching themselves more to an idea than to a particular person. And, and so there will be sort of mi- what we might call middle-level leaders all along the way. And, and that's certainly become more prevalent today with, uh, with the, all the Internet-based uh, movements. I mean, we see that with the anti-vax movement and QAnon, <clears throat> things like that. <clears throat> so, yeah. you know, and the... And there's also, you know, if we look at, for example, the groups on the far right, like some of the white supremacist groups, um, again, it's it's more spread out, and there there is probably one leader, but people get revved up by their websites and what they see there, and they start buying the paraphernalia and wearing the T-shirts and and carrying out their actions, and and I also think these days we're seeing a lot more violence and and acting outward which we didn't see in the past most cults in the past did things within the group that very few of them actually acted out towards society you know a few did like om shinrikyo the group that put the uh, sarin gas in the subway right in yeah. tokyo um or some groups that you know 
do have outward actions. But in most cases, up until now, cults have been much more inward. They harm their own members. <laughs> you know, they don't so much. They don't do so much to the outside world. But that's also changing, and I believe that. You know, I, I hope I don't offend your listeners, but I believe a lot of that was brought on by the kind of language and slogans that Trump used while he was. I'm sorry to say, president of our country. And so the, the that kind of us versus them mentality, you know, you're either with us or against us. And if you're against us, we can shoot you, you know. And so we see so much more violence today with this kind of closed-minded thinking. Yeah, it does seem like the landscape um, has changed and the the ideas um, are much more mainstream. It used to be like Jonestown, you would uh, drink the Kool-Aid, the Branch Davidians, or Heaven's Gate, um, you know, a mass suicide uh, or homicide or a combination of both. But now right. you're seeing, like you mentioned, this sort of normalization. And I think of Alex Jones, and I think of, you know, many of those sort of uh, promoters um, of exactly. these things. and. You know, QAnon is probably the most widely you know, known example of it currently, but and that doesn't even have a leader except for this mythical Q, right? That's it's sort of right. just based on an idea. Exactly, exactly. And you know, certainly the pandemic had a lot to do with that. When people, especially the year when people were sheltered in, and so they were spending so much time on the internet. A lot of people were alone in their homes, and so they, you know, felt like they were joining a community, you know, and that gave them some kind of solace uh, while they were being sheltered in. And so that really helped expand all of that. Right. It, it, we used to, like, think of young men sitting in basements being vulnerable to ISIS sort of propaganda um, and getting recruited into those um, sorts of organizations. But... Um, now they, I mean, you can search the web and find anything. Um, it's, exactly. it seems like it's a very dangerous place and a, and a good, you know, a perfect sort of storm for folks who are lonely or isolated and really struggling to get a sense of connection. Exactly. You're exactly right. Okay. Can you talk for a minute? One of your areas of focus is these, uh, charismatic leaders um what uh -huh. what personality traits like do they possess and how do they work to like gain this sort of psychological control over people well it's that's an interesting subject and i'm glad you asked because charisma is um fairly misunderstood uh, most people think of charisma as a trait that a person has like they're born with it and they're going to grow up and be charismatic in reality, charisma is a social relationship. So by that I mean you have to resp you respond to that person in a way that you deem them to be charismatic, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we that's why we say charisma is in the eye of the beholder, right? Whereas, you know, I might someone might invite me to go see some guru and and tell me I'm going to see a halo and he's going to lift himself off his chair or whatever. And I go to this meeting and the friend who brought me is like completely gaga. And I'm like, no, that's a con artist, right? So, but everyone else in the room is completely enthralled by this person. But so it has to, 
you know, for for that to take hold, it has to be something that resonates with you. But by you deeming that person as charismatic, what that means is that's established an, a relationship that has an imbalance of power. That person then has power over you because you consider him or her to be special, to be unique, to be superior to you. And that's how they gain that first handle on power and can then, you know, convince you to do X, Y, or Z because you have decided that this is a special person. And, of course, they will have the kind of personality that can do that. You know, they there's the guru named Sai Baba who was in India who would, you know, make these things materialize out of thin air, right? He was basically a magician. Magic. Yeah. Magic tricks, right. <laughs> but people thought he was like this wondrous man, right? So so the the charismatic individual, so to speak, has to have some way that they can draw people to them, you know, and, and it's why they will have big rallies, right? And they'll have slogans and chanting and things to get people all revved up. And when you get all revved up like that, we call that a high arousal technique, which means that it's essentially shutting down your critical thinking. So you're much more susceptible to go along with all the cheering and rah-rah and raising your arms. And, you know, you get into this exalted state or what you think is an exalted state. And you attribute that again to that person who, who led you there. So it's, it's, it's really quite tricky. And I think it's, you know, it's important to understand sort of what role we had as members of these groups that also reinforced the leader and what the leader was doing. Yeah, it's uh, a state of euphoria, um, which uh -huh. is sort of like a drug. So we are um, at our, our first break, and I do have a caller that I would like to hold on uh, until after the break, and we'll, we'll get to him because he's got a question it looks like that is going to feed into really my next question perfectly. But if you're just joining us today, I am discussing the psychology of cults with Dr. Yanya Lalich. Dr. Lalich is one of the world's leading experts on cults, specializing in the, in the areas of recruitment, indoctrination, coercion, and charismatic authority. If you have a question for Dr. Lalich or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. Our Anchorage phone number is 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free at one 888 3535752. And the last way to get your question to us is to email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. After this short break, we'll continue our conversation about cults, coercion, power, and control. I'm Prentice Pemberton. You're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, did you know that one out of four Alaska high school students currently use e-cigarettes? E-cigarettes are easy to use and easy to hide. What teens breathe in and out from e-cigarettes is not safe. It contains cancer-causing chemicals, toxic metals, and nicotine. Nicotine can lead to addiction. It can harm brain development and hurt memory, learning, and attention span. Parents, talk to your teens about vaping. Visit livevapefree at alaskaquitline.com. This message sponsored by the Alaska Tobacco Quitline.
Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just joining us, we are discussing the psychology of cults with Dr. Yanya Lalich, or Lalich. Dr. Lalich is one of the world's leading experts on cults, specializing in the areas of recruitment, indoctrination, coercion, and charismatic authority. If you have a question for Dr. Lalich or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. Our email is line1 at alaskapublic.org. Our Anchorage phone number is 907 907- Five five zero eight four three three, and you can reach us toll free from anywhere you might be listening at one eight 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 three five three five seven five two. Okay, before the break, I mentioned we had a phone call, so we're going to go to Andrew in Wasilla. You have a question for us today. Yes, hi. Uh, first, let me start off. I, I am a right-wing individual, but wouldn't you say that the whole concept of you know finding people uh, that are very susceptible and um, bringing them on board fits her along with the, the way the right views uh, transgender ideology, especially in children. Uh, sorry, can you repeat the, the question, the last part? Sorry. I was saying, wouldn't the whole recruitment be, you know, that she was speaking of, be right in line with the right view of transgender ideology and uh, grooming of small children, like especially like if you look at the Florida law, you know, do you really need to speak about transgender issues with kindergartners or third graders? But people are outraged at this. Right. No, that's a. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a fair question, and and I did not think we were going to go into that uh, specific topic, but I was wanting to ask a similar question, and I'll let Dr. Lalich answer that. But um, my question was more about the the left-wing sort of extremes of uh, Antifa and some of those extreme um, left's uh, sort of agendas that are, um, you know, I think the problem is the divide that we have, and, and both of the extremes seem to be a bit myopic um, in some of their views. So, Dr. Lalich, do you have a, a comment or a response for our caller? I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear his question, but in terms of what you're asking, uh, you know, yes, there are extremes on, on both ends of the spectrum, and some of them are more cultic than others. Um, in my opinion, the the extremes on the right are far more organized than anything on the left has ever been, <laughs> and I, I of course say that as a former member of a of a extreme leftist organization. Um, but that divide, which you mentioned, that divide does exist, and that and that is a problem. And when when whenever people get into that state of closed-mindedness where, you know, they can't see anything but their own belief and their own issues, and they can't entertain any other thoughts or have, you know, have really deep discussions or, you know, are able to be challenged and listen to opposing points of view. I mean, there, there is too much of that today where people aren't able to do that. And people are on both sides, but I, I think far more on the right, digging in their heels about things. I mean, as far as Antifa goes, I don't, I don't think there is any one leader of that movement, and I think it's actually quite a small movement. Um, 
whereas some of the groups on the right, especially the racist and and white supremacist groups, are are really quite dangerous. You know, they're armed. Um, And the right has always been, I think, more dangerous because of being armed, whereas the left, other than the weathermen back in the 60s and 70s, you know, who did do some bombings, there, there hasn't really been that kind of activity on the left. Um, but in any case, I think any organization that is demanding, you know, total commitment in the sense of, you know, a devotion to one person or a devotion to one belief that excludes everything else, I don't, I don't think that's ever healthy, whichever side it's on. Yeah, and since we're uh, sort of getting into um, politics, I really try to work really hard to understand the other side and i listen to a lot of um right-wing radio hannity and such and it is fascinating to me that there are such polarized opinions and i think our caller was really speaking to the he, he mentioned the florida law on um it's the parental rights bill which the the left has turned the don't say gay bill um and so it's like these these diametrically opposed views. He was asking about, aren't we indoctrinating uh, children to believe a certain belief system about transgenderism or and teaching sex to kindergartners, kindergartners? And there's a lot of people really upset about that. But that's sort of not the conversation for today. Um, I do appreciate the call, and I like to hear um, from both sides. But I do really want to give some some credence to the idea like if there are riots on the left and things are burning and and buildings are getting torn up um it seems to be more excused by a certain uh group of the media and then on the right the same is true and we are becoming more and more polarized um we're getting out of cults but and more into like strong ideological beliefs aren't we yes yes yeah. Okay, so let's uh, sort of get back on track. But thank you, Andrew, for the call. And I do appreciate um, you asking that question. Now, we have a uh, we have a, an email that says, is the Russian army a cult? So can you talk a little bit about about that idea? Well, no, I don't think the Russian army is a cult. The Russian army is an army. And from what and first of all, it's very difficult for us to know anything that's really going on there because Putin shut down any of the free media. Um, and there are certainly, from my understanding, plenty of soldiers who had no idea what they were even going into. Um, but, you know, armies are the sort of force behind when you have sort of a a, a nation state that has a, a an authoritarian leader who is creating a totalitarian society. So we've seen that with Hitler. We've seen that with Chairman Mao in China. Uh, and we've certainly seen that in Russia with various leaders. And I think. All right. I think we uh, we lost we lost Dr. Lalich briefly, but we will effort to. Uh get her back. Um, yeah, I think of, uh, I mean, she's talking about totalitarian leaders and authoritarian leaders. And 
some of the stuff she mentions, the control of the message and the propaganda and the devotion, I think, of uh, Putin's um, his stadium-filled kind of rally uh, where people were sort of fomenting and, you know, very excited about uh, the message that they were getting and, and just believing everything that is pitched by this certain uh, person who is uh, the leader of a movement. So that seems very similar to um, a cult, but for the purposes of, uh, of today's conversation, yet, Dr. Lalachi, uh, back with us? Yes. Okay. I never knew I was gone. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad we got you back. Um, I always get get nervous when I have a half hour left to cover by myself on something that I have an expert <laughs> on about. But um, I was just kind of mentioning the idea of, of Putin and the, the stadium filled with his supporters and the messages that he's giving and the propaganda. Uh, a lot of similarities with cult leaders, right, on a, on a much larger stage. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the, the thing I think what people need to remember is when you're in a situation like that with, a, with an authoritarian leader in a country and you're told to go to a stadium and cheer, and you know that if you're not going to do that, you're going to get arrested and put in prison, um, you're going to cheer, you know, out of basic survival m mode. So I think we have to take with a grain of salt on some level how many people are actually behind what Putin is doing, um, because they will put on shows like this. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think of some um, some scenes in our own country that remind me of those with uh, just this uh, rabid sort of um, passion and love and unquestioning devotion uh, and an inability mm -hmm. to think critically, and which we can get into a little bit um, in a minute. But uh, one of my listeners called in, and I'm not sure. I'd, I figured everybody knew what QAnon was, but um, the question is, what is the idea of QAnon? What is the main premise of that sort of movement? Well, the main idea of QAnon, as, as I understand it, is that they believe that um, everything is controlled by what they call the deep state, which is run by a group of pedophiles, um, including, you know, Hillary Clinton and and Barack Obama and everybody like that, and that the they are out to take away all our rights and privileges and. Uh, and so it's one kind of conspiracy theory after another. Um, it, people might remember a few years ago when that guy went into a pizza parlor in somewhere on the East Coast in New Jersey or somewhere uh, and was going to shoot up because he believed that Hillary Clinton was running a child trafficking ring in the basement of this pizza parlor, which didn't even have a basement. And so, you know, people get riled up to the point where they're taking these actions and, and QAnon uh, by using child trafficking as one of their uh, pitch points, um, which child trafficking certainly is a huge problem uh, in our country and around the world. Um, but they, what they did was try to like latch on to good organizations that are actually fighting that. Uh, so they're appealing to people's goodwill and getting them involved and sucked into these conspiracy theories that are 
you know, just completely mindless. Um, and so QAnon has been quite big, and and especially with the pandemic and the sheltering in, and has had, you know, quite a big impact. I mean, some of the people who went to uh, the January 6th uh, attempted coup were, you know, were there because of um, their followership of QAnon and, and those crazy conspiracy theories. Yeah, and it seems like really dangerous um, times right now. And the, I mentioned earlier that, that cult sort of beliefs and this absolute myopic view of a truth mm-hmm. that seems very far-fetched is becoming mainstream to the point where we have elected members of uh, representatives who are openly talking about some of these conspiracies that were very, very fringe in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And why is this why is this happening? Why are we getting this sort of like airtime for folks who are in these extreme positions? Yeah, I think it's, you know, uh, you know, this is such a complex question. I think I think there are several factors that happen. One is um, what I call the dumbing down of America that I think since the 50s um, and the, you know, all the different ways in which people get information, and a lot of it is misinformation, and uh, the lack of really good education teaching critical thinking and, and this, you know, this us versus them mentality that was fostered by people in leadership. I think the combination of all those things have sort of led more and more people to vote for these individuals who are part of this conspiracy theory stuff, which may seem mindless and funny to us, but is can be dangerous when it starts to get into our government. Um, and whether that's, you know, local government or state government or national government. So it's, I think it's just that as a country, we need to kind of buckle up and, um, you know, I always say we need to have a really great national education program. Of course, that sounds very socialist and people don't like that. Right. Idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think people need to be able to think more clearly about things and have more time to examine things carefully rather than just jumping to things. And I think that's another factor. Like we've become this kind of quick fix society. We want everything fixed and done right away. So people jump into things too quickly without really doing their research or, or, you know, looking at the pros and cons of a particular movement or workshop or whatever. Um, And so now we're in this situation, which is quite troubling. Yeah, it is. It's quite scary. And, you know, I think of, uh, you know, some of the, research in in neuroscience right now and talks about when the brain becomes, you know, when we get locked in on certainty, the idea that something is absolute truth, it shuts off our ability to reason and to think critically Mm -hmm. and to consider other points of view. And so, like, uh, I got an email. It it sort of sums up the situation we're in. It says, our Fox News viewers, would you consider that a cult? I mean, certainly not the viewers, but the messaging, I listen to a lot of Fox News um, because I am curious as to like how 
I, I find myself wondering how can people believe this stuff? And, and a lot of my uh, right sort of right leaning friends sort of like blow that stuff off as like, well, you know, I believe in sort of the, the basic principles of a conservatism. Um, but all that stuff seems to have gone along with it. Um, I mean, what's happening in our media now um, that is scary to you? Yeah, I mean, no, you're exactly right. Fox News and OAN and, you know, the, the massive amounts of misinformation and disinformation that's being put out. And, and you know, Fox News has always been one of the most watched uh, of the news programs. And so it's part of that whole process of, of people being fed, you know, these enormous lies and, and misrepresentations of what's really happening. And it captures people because, again, people want answers. They want a framework for understanding. And so, you know, when societies are in crisis, that's when cults can recruit very well because people are looking for answers. They're looking for a framework to understand what's going on in the world. So I wouldn't call Fox News a cult, but it is basically generating and promoting that same kind of closed-mindedness, that same kind of us-versus-them mentality that is one of the hallmarks of, of a cult, right? It's like we're the great elite, and, and, and we know the answer, and we have the right God or whatever, and you all are are stupid and either need to die or you need to join us. And so it keeps promoting that kind of split, Um until we are where we are, where there's there's you know there's just this intense polarization in our country that I don't think we've ever experienced before. It, it feels different, and it seems like uh, 30 years ago, Republicans and Democrats could all look at a cult or some of these conspiracy theories, and they would all say, "Well, that's silly." Um, and now it seems like we're arguing um, about two different. Uh, versions of our own version of truth, um, which is, as you mentioned, people feel left behind, people feel disenfranchised, but these uh, sort of leaders and ideas would not gain a foothold if there were not enablers or handlers. Um, yeah. All right, so we're going to come back to uh, more of our conversation. We're up against our last break. So if you're just joining us, we are discussing the psychology of cults with Dr. Yanya Lalich. Dr. Lalich is one of the world's leading experts on cults. She specializes in the areas of recruitment, indoctrination, coercion, and charismatic authority. After a short break, we will continue with more of our conversation with Dr. Yanya Lalich. I'm Prentice Pemberton. You're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. No one likes shopping for insurance. So let Alaska USA insurance brokers shop the best auto, home, and life insurance coverage for you. They'll even see if they can save you more by bundling policies. Make life a little easier by calling 800-478-1251 for a fast, free quote from Alaska USA Insurance Brokers. This message sponsored by Alaska USA Insurance. The Alaska Travel Industry Association provides leadership and guidance to Alaska's tourism businesses for how to operate safely across the state. Members can access updated industry resources related to COVID-19 at alaskatia.org. This message sponsored by ATIA. 
Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just joining us today, we are discussing the psychology of cults with Dr. Yanya Lalich. Dr. Lalich is one of the world's leading experts on cults. She focuses uh, a lot on the areas of recruitment, indoctrination, coercion, and charismatic authority. If you have a question for us today uh, or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. Our Anchorage number is 907-550-8433. Our toll-free number is 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to participate is by emailing your questions to line one at alaskapublic.org. Okay, we have a caller. Um, if you have a call, please call us in the next you know five minutes or so because we are running out of time. Um, caller Jessica really jumps into my next area of the next topic um, in Anchorage. Jessica, you have a question for Dr. Lalich today. Uh, hi, Dr. Lalich. My name is Jessica. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Glad to be here. And I loved Alaska when I visited it a few years ago. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, you spoke earlier uh, kind of about having to be in survival mode, uh, having to kind of conform if everyone around you is in a cult uh, like Putin and Russia is. Uh, if all of a sudden you realize that, like, your entire city or entire college that you lived in is involved in a cult, uh, where would you go? I mean, it, it, who can you trust if you're worried about the authorities being able to trust them? Uh, is there like an underground railroad or witness protection? Uh, <laughs> do you have a comprehensive list of who 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 somebody could call? Uh, as far as I know, nothing like that exists. I mean, it, it depends on the situation. If there's criminal activity going on, then you can contact the FBI. And if you don't want to, if you're concerned, maybe your local FBI agent. All right, we have we have dropped uh, Dr. Lalich again, but um, thank you, Jessica, for the question, and we will um, we'll continue to answer that when when she gets back. But my next area of uh, the next topic I really want to um, get into is ha that exact point uh, that Jessica brings up. Both if you're in a cult and you want to get out. And you like suddenly wake up and you're like, oh, this is not good. How do you get out? And then um, sort of the other question that I have is uh, what is the – okay, so two questions, uh, Dr. Lalich. Um, one is if you're in a – if you find yourself in that situation and you suddenly wake up and you're like, I want to get out, how do you get out? And then two, <laughs> if you are a – if you have a son or a wife or a husband or cousin who gets sucked into it and doesn't want out, what do you do? Okay. I'm going to start with the, first, the second question because it might help the first question. If you're a family member or a friend and have someone in a cult, um, the best thing you can do is try to stay in touch with that person as much as you can. I mean, sometimes they're completely cut off and you can't. But if you can have actual conversations or even just mail access, do everything you can to be kind and gentle and compassionate and understanding. Don't challenge the person. Don't ever say, I think you're in a cult. 
what you want to do is represent yourself as the safe haven then that that person can come to should they ever decide to change their mind. They want to know that there's a place that they can just go to and be safe. They can lay down and go to sleep, that nobody's going to humiliate them or say, see, I told you, Cheryl, you shouldn't have done that, mm-hmm. right? You need to know there's a safe place to go to, so you want to always be that safe place. If you have a numbers of relatives and friends of that person, you know, different people can play different roles. You can send postcards when you go on a trip and say, oh, I wish you were here. Or you send photographs of the last holiday you spent together and say, remember what a great time we had. All of those things that will tug at the emotional heartstrings of that person and try to get them to, like, see that they're really that it's really okay on the outside. For the person who's in the group, if they finally have that awakening, like they may not think it's a cult, but they may think, you know, something's not right here, this isn't good for me, or this isn't a good organization or church or whatever, depending again on the situation, it will be easier or harder to leave. Sometimes you can just up and leave. That's a, you know, sometimes you can't. It's scarier. You think they're going to come after you which was the situation in my group, or you don't have the means, you don't know anyone on the outside. So what you need to do is quietly make a plan. Don't talk to anyone else because you can't trust anyone. Even your spouse might turn you in if you're thinking of leaving. So just make a very careful plan and try to just go out the door one day. I know it's scary. You think that that you can't really do that, but you can. Go out the door and go to a, a police station or a domestic violence shelter or to if you know there's relatives or friends out there and 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 just take that step. Um, a lot is going to depend on what resources are out there that you have from before. This is a most difficult decision for children who are born in cults because they have mm-hmm. no idea what's on the outside. Um, and that's why there are so many suicides and people ending up on the streets and not knowing where to go because they haven't had education. In some cases, they don't even know their real name or have a birth certificate. So we just want to be as gentle and compassionate and understanding as we can. All right. So it sounds like it's critical if you have a family member that you're worried about to, I mean, you're not going to talk them out of it, correct, when they're in that place in their head of being certain that this is right, arguing with them, uh, telling them they're crazy, they've, you know, fallen into a cult, that just pushes them away and severs the connection. Exactly. All right, so stay connected, stay loving, provide an off-ramp, so to speak, or an exit ramp. Um, Yes, absolutely. Okay, we're going to go to another caller, uh, Bill in Anchorage. You're on line one. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I have a comment about critical thinking, but I do know somebody that swears to me that he successfully navigated his way out of Scientology. He said it took him a while, but he, he lived up here, so I, th- I don't think he had the, as much pressure as he would living down the States. Anyway, uh, my question is I read a thing about a 10-word questionnaire the other day that was designed to ferret out critical thinking. The theory was that if you could do all these ten, define all these ten words, you could critically think. And if you could only answer four of the meanings of the words, you know, uh, you couldn't critically think. Have you heard about this uh, survey? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, I just read it the other day. I don't know where it was when I got that. I'll take the rest of it off the air. Thank you. And what island did you live off of Spain on? Uh, Formentera. 
All right. Um, thank you, Bill, for the call. Uh, Scientology, is that a cult? Um, I don't talk about Scientology. Let me leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> and that probably answers the question. <laughs> right. Um, all right. I am sort of struck by, you know, a, another question that kind of goes along with that. Um, when do, like, I think about strong personal beliefs and beliefs that are based on faith or uh, messages that we've gotten. And I think of, you know, Warren Dre Jeffs and the extreme, um, you know, sort of angle on Mormonism um, that he took. What makes a cult different from any, like a religious organization or a belief system? Where, where's the dividing line? Well, the way I see it is if you're in a healthy religion, first of all, you're not expected to worship the person in front of you. You would be worshiping some higher power, whether that's God and Jesus or Allah or Buddha or, you know, whoever, um, or a tree. It doesn't matter. But you're not expected to worship that person in front of you who's preaching at you on Saturday or Sunday or whatever day. Um, secondly, a healthy religion or faith will most certainly give you uh, guidelines to live by, but they're not going to be spying on you and checking up on you to see if you're actually following those guidelines, right? So your church may say, oh, if someone new moves in your neighborhood, you know, knock on the door and bring them a cake and welcome them. Nobody checks up on you and asks you if you really did that, right? So uh, whereas in a cult, you're going to feel the pressure and the eyes watching you and people reporting on each other about whether or not they're, they're following the, quote, guidelines of the group. Um, and also, healthy religion will recognize that there are other religions. They're not going to say, we are the truth, we are the only way. Um, most of our mainstream religions today, you know, a Catholic realizes there's people who are Presbyterians or, you know, the Jewish faith, whatever. So it's it's those kinds of things that, for me, make the difference between a religion or a faith-based group and an occultic group, where everything is closed in and only one way. Okay, so it is critical to think about um, control coercion and the like blind following of one leader or idea that is considered absolute in its correctness. Right. Exactly. All right. Um, that uh, leads me to uh, we're getting up close to the to the end of our our program, but um, how are we, like, in our society supposed to sort of, like, towards the end of our conversation here today, um, really consider how other people be might be right and sort of come closer to the middle and stay away from these, like, extremist sort of beliefs? Uh, how, do we, how do we come back together more? I know that's sort of not really a cult question, but it seems pertinent in the, you know— in this day and age when we have so much uh, extreme division in our society? How do we um, 
begin to change that? Well, I think it's by just being human and trying to just talk with each other. Um, you know, if you have friends or family, for example, that are on opposite ends of the pole, you know, I would say hang out and do stuff, but don't talk about triggering issues. Just hang out and do stuff and have fun together. Go fishing or go to the, you know, water park or whatever, right? And and so that both of you can realize you're just regular old Joes, you know, you're just the same people you always were. And don't always want to be challenging and front, confronting and trying to work out these, you know, ideological differences, but just learn to be humans again with each other. And I think that creates a kind of openness where people can then begin to see the other side and, and maybe entertain different ideas and may, maybe slowly come around to uh, discussing the pros and cons of each, each one's beliefs or whatever. Um, you know, it's a huge, it's a huge challenge. You know, I wish I had the magic answer, but I don't. Um, I think it's just going to take time and patience and, and and people just trying to be human with each other again. And I think it's also important that we look at our the things we have in common um, and exactly. our similarities rather than our differences. All right. Um, mm-hmm. Last uh, 20 seconds or so, can you give us your final thoughts on on cults and uh, what you want people to remember? Well, I'd say my final thoughts are if you're thinking of joining something or signing up for something or being, you know, asked to go to a workshop or whatever, please do your research and don't just jump right in. You know, pretend you're buying a new car. You would never just buy the first car you look at. So you want to do your research. There's so much information online today of people who've been part of various things who can talk about what their experience was like, um, you know, and and ask hard questions and make sure your questions are answered and not turned back on you. All right. So I would just say take your time. Thank you so much, Dr. Lalich. I appreciate you joining us. Um, join me next week for a discussion about therapeutic foster parenting. Thanks to Amon Swanson for producing today's program and to our audio engineer, Tobin Shelby, for making it all work. For all of us at Line One, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Till next time, I'm Prentice Pemberton. Have a great day, Alaska. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.